For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Network. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. We're brought to you by Superbook Sports, and I am so excited to be joined by a very special guest. He is one of the linchpins over at DNVR, doing a bunch of different things now, having a grand old time uh, with the Nuggets, now doing some stuff with the Avs and the Rockies. It is Brendan Votes. He's fantastic. Make sure to go follow him and all of his work on Twitter. Brendan, it's so nice to talk to you. It's, it's been a while since you've been on the pod. Yeah, man, it's been a long time. We had you on DNVR Nuggets recently, but there was once a time when we worked together, Ryan, and that feels like a lifetime ago. But it's oh fun. my god, yeah. it, it really does feel like a lifetime ago. Oh my god, I was during during that particular stretch. I was living in South Carolina for right. that entire time. Right. That's nuts. Like I I don't know if I knew you outside of my time living in South Carolina. So. It's just crazy. I, I, we're going to talk about some of that stuff in the third segment, but like you, like so much of our like ties to Denver and to the city of Denver is because of Nikola Jokic. And I'm so thankful for him. And so are you. Like, it's just yeah. so nuts. Like you might not even be in the state if, if not for Nikola Jokic. So I was, no yeah, light. like no it's just about so, it. yeah. so awesome, man. So I just, I, it's shout out to shout out to the big joker. He, uh, he definitely cares what we have to say. Um, all right, so we are going to bounce around on a bunch of topics here. I wanted to just like I was expecting kind of a little bit more news to drop in general today. It, it yeah, feels man. like things are just kind of bubbling under the surface, getting ready for the big stuff to drop either Wednesday or Thursday. Not sure when it's going to happen. Not sure when the Nugget stuff is going to happen, but I do think it's going to happen. We're just going to kind of have to play it by ear. But for now, I just want to get your, your thoughts on the NBA draft, talk about some of the free agency rumors that have come out, and then just sort of riff on, on fandom in the NBA right now and in sports. I think, I think we should have a lot of fun with that. But first, let's talk NBA draft, Manda. After all is said and done with preparation for the draft, what do you think about this group of prospects? I know you guys over at DNVR have been like going over just about everybody during this process. What do you, what do you think of the, the players in this draft? Well, it does seem like in Denver's range, there are a fair amount of guys that fit some archetypes, you know, the six, six to six, eight range where these scouting reports aren't overwhelming in terms of upside, but 
you start to think about what they can bring to the table. And a lot of these guys, you go, okay, well, maybe that sounds safe, but that's what Denver needs. On the other hand, in, in, on that same sort of line of thought, I'm not overwhelmed by any one prospect right now, which is I, not surprising this late in the draft. Obviously, we're coming off or, or in the first round, we're coming off that Bones pick being such an instant success that maybe we've lost our perspective on that. But, you know, a late first round pick can often be inconsequential, you know? So it's you, on one hand, I think I'm pickier than ever because of where the nuggets are at and, and how can they help them win right now? And on the other, I think virtually no late first rounders do that, you know? So it's, it's kind of a hard thing to reconcile. You hope they get it right, but you also have, for me, I have just as much an eye on what they might do with these picks as assets than I do what they might, in the draft. hundred percent. And uh, you, you remind me of, of my takes back on the DNVR pod when bones was drafted. I remember my power went out to my house at that point, And I was, I was FaceTiming from my porch in a, a completely dark neighborhood. And, and I was like, Oh yeah, he'll probably be like Jordan Clarkson or something. And yeah, it's, I, I think he might be more than that. And it's great. It's, it's great that we, we have that as, as kind of a, a, a fallback. Like you, you never expect the 26th pick in the draft to be what Bones was and kind of similar to what a, what a Herb Jones was for the New Orleans Pelicans. Maybe Herb was just massively more impactful for like playoff context and whatnot. But like, I do think that there are guys, like you said, there are players in that general range that I think could help Denver. And, and though there may not be like the, the massive stars at the top or like the, the can't miss prospects on the wing I do think that there are enough guys on the wing that if you're good at your job, like, like the nuggets seem to be when it comes to drafting people, then they're probably going to find somebody that's really helpful. Like I, I I'm just kind of excited that the, the class right. seems pretty deep at the wing spot. Me too. And there's almost a misconception or, or sometimes it gets narrowed down too much to, can they help them right away year one? And chances are no, but even still there's utility in taking a wing just to have these types of guys in the building there have been so few of them in the Jokic era. So even if this isn't instant success in the right now immediate window, this is these are still the types of bodies that Denver doesn't have and bringing them in to help down the line, good idea. So there are guys that I think are helpful. There are guys I'm intrigued by. Uh, but I also, I can't sort of get my mind away from the win now urgency mode Denver seems to be in. And when you pair that with two picks, I really am almost more trying to figure out how this potential trade goes than I am who's the guy they bring in. Not that the latter isn't important, just with with what we're looking at right now, that's kind of almost what excites me more about what could go down on Thursday. No, it's it's completely fair. And and I I'm trying to just just tell this to everybody that it's very possible that Denver makes zero picks. On right. draft night, it's very possible that they make two picks. It's very possible they make one pick. I doubt they make three or anything like that. That'll be, sure, sure. be very odd, but it does sort of feel like they are in position where it could go any way. And that's that's exciting for content for sure. Right. Uh, it is difficult to prepare for, that's for sure. <laughs> that's been that's been really irritating. Um, do you have a like a specific player in this class you would call like this is my guy? Like that this is the guy that I've been really tied to. Uh, just from a, hey, I know that this is going to be my favorite player. I have everything from the, the Denver perspective. I mean, I'm, I'm not a draft Nick, right? But 
I really like Tari Eason, but my problem is he's my answer to all these questions. And then ask me the important question. Do I think he'll be available at 21? No, right. I really don't. So it's he's the guy that gets me most excited right now. I think sometimes when you think of, he's talked about as athlete defensive upside, you almost gloss over the part where he was, in fact, a, a effective scorer in college. And some of the defenders that have come through in the Jokic era, think of Tory Craig as an example, good defender, almost a zero offensively. And I think what's kind of exciting about Tari is there's that upside, but a guy scoring at that rate at, at that level is something more than nothing. And so this, can he help you out in transition just as an athlete? Can he pick up points in between the cracks? Uh, it, it may be at a more effective level than, than some of the other defenders we've seen come through here, which are guys like Torrey Craig, Shaq Harrison, where you almost feel like you're choosing too much offense or defense. Think about how many easy baskets Jokic generates for Aaron Gordon, just right. like whether it's transition, whether it's half court, just, just kind of setting a back screen, slipping to the rim. There are so many ways to just get easy points with a guy like that. When you're just big and you're just athletic and you have that seven two wingspan and can just do kind of whatever. And honestly, like a guy like OG Ananobi, who is, is an extremely valuable player in the NBA right now, his offense isn't so great that it's impossible to see a guy like Tari Eason getting there or, right. or getting to a place where it's close enough to that. And then you're one of the most valuable three and D forwards in the entire damn league. So I'm with you there. Like I, I would love Tari Eason. I think mine is Marshawn Bochamp at this point. Mm. Kind of helped that we we spoke to him and, and got a, a vibe for for how he operates in a media setting and what what some of the some of the nuggets people were saying about him. But he just seems like kind of like what you're what you're getting at with Tari. Maybe a little bit smaller, maybe a little bit more of a wing in general, but just somebody who's versatile, somebody who's long and athletic, yeah. defensive minded, can do a bunch of different things and has some offensive upside if you figure some things out. It's going to be easy to figure some stuff out with Murray Porter and Jokic. That's my general take on all of this. And if you can't figure it out next to those guys, then that's that's probably a pretty big detriment. Right. When I think of Boch- Bochamp, I, he seems to me like the pick the fewest people would roll their eyes at. You know what I mean? I think oh, everyone yeah. could talk themselves into it. No one's going to throw their hands up in the air and go, what's this process? So I, I, I get that. I was impressed by him. You know, you always have to throw so many qualifiers on pre-draft workout takeaways. First of all, we don't watch the workouts in case that's lost in the transition. That's, that's sort of, sort of a big deal. I know, I know Adam said that he got to, he got to sneak in for a couple of minutes on a right. podcast recently, but that's, that's about it. We watch open gym shots and, and then we talk to people and we try to pick up what we can. But my top thing, Ryan, when we talk to these guys is trying to pick up on some level of self-awareness, specifically with what is it that's going to get you drafted. And if you're standing in front of me in the UC Health practice court in Denver, talk to me about how you can help the Denver Nuggets. Obviously, some of that stuff is agent fed and all that, but you want to see the self-awareness. And he was a guy who I think understood what kind of player he would be initially at the next level, how he can earn minutes, money. And lastly, I love the fact that his jump shot, a knock on him on the scouting report is being addressed right now. He's talking about it. He's putting the work into changing the mechanics of his shot. We heard good feedback on that and that pre-draft workout. And you go, it's awesome that this kid, he's not going to wait to get to the next level to develop 
he's get he's in the gym right now trying to fix that jump shot before anyone even gets their hands on him. Self-awareness, workmanlike attitude, those were things that I, I picked up on from Bojan. I love it. it. It feels like a gym rat, feels like somebody who's who's willing to uh, kind of accept criticism and, and just, just be a player that adapts to what the team needs and is willing to do what the coach asks. And that's, that is a really valuable thing when you're talking about a role player that's probably going to specialize in defense anyway. So right. I'm with it for sure. Is there a guy that you learned about maybe a little bit later in this process, maybe kind of as the, the scouting reports have come in that, that you kind of like that, that you didn't really expect to like at first, but now you kind of really like them? Uh, I mean, I know Terry's stock is rising and I'm kind of, I'm gullible this time of year, man. You know, I'm sure trying to listen to the experts of which I am not. And so you'll find me kind of chasing that the late risers guys, I wasn't so high on. Okay. Now I've reconsidered my position uh, as NBA personnel and, and, and draft experts seem to do and, and keep it fluid. So he's a guy that I've sort of been more open-minded on. Um particularly just just the size is awesome and so i i also man i'm changing my mind every time someone asks me right now about bpa versus fit you know because it's this thing of of who are the guys that could help you win right away well that sounds like a nice way to approach it but very few of those guys actually can do that there's a dwindling asset trove as it is maybe that jermichael green trade helped is it just worth it to take BPA? And even if he doesn't fit your system, he turns into like an RJ Hampton piece for you that helps you get that Aaron Gordon, so on and so forth. I don't really know. I don't know the right way to approach the draft, Ryan. I don't think <laughs> very many people do, but these are the things that are swirling around in my head right now. I mean, look, it was a, it was a high ceiling play to go get bones. I didn't think much of it. I thought that Jaden Springer would have been a better fit. Right. I was very vocal about that. And I, I did think like, okay, hey, Quinta Grimes, AU Desumu, I wasn't completely off. And I still think that there are some, there's some definite concerns about Denver's perimeter defense because they never addressed it in the first place. So mm-hmm. I do think that, that there are so, there's some value at times to going for fit and then just trusting in your player development team that you can kind of maximize whoever that player is going to be. Right. Uh, I, at this stage, I'm of the mind that this player has to be ready to go pretty quickly maybe not necessarily right now but if you had to turn to them whether it was during the regular season this year or during or this this upcoming year or during a playoff series next year that guy has to be able to survive and if they can't survive then you got to trade the pick and you got to find a way to upgrade like that's that's just how it has to go my line in the sand right now is the word project. If that comes up, I'm out, you know, and it doesn't have to, again, there's a difference between a project and can't help you year one. Many people fit into the latter, but a project, if you're telling me we love the potential, but it's two and a half, three years down the line, I think Denver's brought enough projects in and in through these doors over the years. And I'm ready to find a guy that you're right. If it's not year one, it's year two, or if it's break glass in case of emergency, it's not an utter disaster. Right. So it's just, it's tough. Like, cause Denver's had a lot of projects before and they haven't been able to rely. It's like, I think a lot of people, they, they criticize Michael Malone sometimes for not playing rookies. Some of these guys are just not ready to play. And that's not necessarily Malone's fault. Like, it's just, you're drafting a whole bunch of 18 and 19 year olds and hoping for them to, to get ready really quickly. I know it's the coach's jobs to, to get those guys prepared, but at some point you're drafting a young dude who just needs some seasoning. That's, that's not a, that's not a knock on Malone, I don't think, but 
Uh, you you kind of transitioned into it beautifully. Is there is there an oh god please no pick for you in this draft? Like oh my gosh they did this. I can't believe they did this. Uh, anyone that's a project, anyone that's under six four, uh, not to go heightest on myself, but it's time. The the tiny king summer is over, Ryan. Even <laughs> I'm ready. Even I'm ready for a transition back to the long boys. But yeah, I don't know if I have one player so much as I just sort of have kind of archetypes where I'm like, oh, I don't really get the plan, you know? Yeah. But and and then how do you feel about Kessler? Like on one hand, it's okay. Very easy angle on this. Calvin Booth himself has said there's no rim protection. Michael Malone himself has said there's no rim protection. He provides rim protection. On the other, how does that guy play defense in the modern NBA? You know, if he's dragged out to the perimeter, is a backup center something that can be found on the market as opposed to the draft? What are your thoughts on him? It's tough. I think you hit it on the head, actually. That's that's a really important piece with talking about centers. I think if I were looking at a center, that player has to have at least some potential to play next to Nikola Jokic at the four and not be a complete and under disaster. And what that means is that they have to be mobile enough. They have to be uh, athletic enough to keep up on the perimeter. They have to be uh, a versatile piece offensively and have some level of basketball IQ. I, I look at a guy like Christian Coloco who came in through here and I think, okay, I can, I can see that a little bit. He's a little bit skinnier than some of the other centers. Maybe that just makes him kind of a, a small five, big four. And that's, that's fine. Uh, do I think Walker Kessler can do that? No, I, I really don't. His his yeah. block numbers are historic. I was looking them up for on, on Sport Reference, and I just unbelievably floored about how great of a rim protector he was in college. It's just not going to translate because the, the game is so congested at the college level and so much more open at the NBA level that he is just not going to survive for more than, what, 15 minutes a night? Yeah, you just if that guy's on the floor – you're calling for a pick, you're getting the switch and you're going to work and it shouldn't be that hard. And that's not necessarily a knock on him. He is, you know, on the short list of guys that have come through some of these recent drafts and it's almost a cliche now, but you go, Ooh, 15, 20 years ago, people are salivating over this prospect. And it's kind of funny that a guy, even with his defensive prowess, like there's a version of his career that just never really happens. Right. And that's a crazy thing to say about a guy who is more talented than that sentence implies. I think the other guy that I, I know a lot of people are going to hate me for this, but Nikola Jovich. Yeah. I'm just like, man, I'm, I, I can't see Denver doing that for no. anything other than the Serbian connection. Like just the vibes. Like, yeah. Like it's, it's like, look, you, you, you have a, of the positions that you have a full amount of right now, it's the power forwards and the point guards. Like you have nine players total on roster and four of them are basically power forwards. What are we doing here? We're really going to add a six foot 11 guy that can't really defend right now. And is oh, 19 years old junior insurance. <laughs> I, I, I keep reading that line in these mock drafts and I'm just floored that this is, that this is a narrative that I think people are, are kind of running with right now. If Michael Porter's out, they're going to go with Murray, Yoko, pick and roll and try to surround them with defenders. They do right. not need right. another offensive dude. What are we talking about? Like Let's get as many porters in the building as we can. Yeah. <laughs> one, one of them is bound to be healthy. Um, <laughs> do you have any, uh, do you have any takes on the top of the draft, like guys at the top that, that, like whether it's the the big three, whether it's Jaden Ivy, whether it's Shaden yeah. Sharp, like what do you think? Well, I've been trying to think about Chet 
lately from this perspective of the way the boss out of Mars has been talking about Jokic lately and how these kind of weird, well, not weird, very explainable down years for the Nuggets. They're almost not really at the forefront of everyone's mind. And there was a time where you could see teams kind of loading up for, hey, what if we get that Denver matchup in the playoffs? And I don't know if anyone's doing that anymore and how it's teams might be loading up to get wings. And like this is Adam's take, so I'm not trying to steal his thunder. It sounds ridiculous, but is there a chance the rest of the West forgets about Jokic? Right? And I know that's a kind of a crazy thing to say, but he's one of one. And all these other centers are having so much trouble being effective. So our two teams get so concerned with how do we guard Steph? How do we guard Luca that there's not enough loading up to stop generational bigs? And I, you know, Chet's not offensively what Jokic is, but he's unique. And, and so I am, part of me is very intrigued about him, number one, just from that perspective alone. If he truly hits both sides of the ball, is he the kind of guy that is so hard for teams around elite to prepare for, to match? And are can you effectively zag when everyone else is zigging? I don't know if that, that makes any sense. No, of course. Like, I think tailoring your game and tailoring your roster to the unique talent that you have is, is one of the things that NBA franchises have to do, that coaches have to do. They have to be adaptable. They have to understand that, look, we can't win the way that Denver's winning with bigs. We may have to win it in this way. And right. I, I think I think the Warriors have won it in their way because they tailored their game plan around two of the greatest shooters of all time and Draymond Green kind of operating at the middle of that. Like, there's no shame in that. They changed the game in some very creative ways that helped evolve the game towards that direction. Right. But it's also like, Denver could have won that series if they were healthy. Like I, right. I do, I do think that if you have Jokic playing at the peak of his powers, like he was, and you can't leave Michael Porter in the corner and you can't leave Jamal Murray on the wing, then what are we doing here? Like that, you right. can't just box and one Nikola Jokic the entire time. This is not going to work for you. So I, I do think that, it, like, you are right about Chet. You are right about. I think that he. I have concerns about the frame because I. It's, it's hard for me to just see past that, sure. but I'm not as creative as some of these NBA execs and teams have to be when you're evaluating a talent like that. Is there something about Chet? Because everyone who, who's around him seems to agree there is this element of magic. Like he has it, right? Can he be so transcendent as a unique player where some of the very same things that are question marks right now about him become the very best parts about drafting him? which is, you know, how like, okay, Jabari is amazing, but there are, are there approximate versions of him throughout the league? Are there better versions of him throughout the league? And I think Chet has this perspective of like, has this potential for like, okay, there's one Chet. And so how do teams prepare for that match up with that question marks surrounding him for sure. But I'm very intrigued by him. I'm just intrigued by any big who who's forcing us to ask different questions about the position right now. I saw a great take from, I, I can't remember who it was from. There's a lot of discussion about what position Chet plays and who guards him. Who the fuck guards Chet? Right. Like, exactly. Like, are you going exactly. to make Jokic guard Chet? Are you going to make uh, Michael Porter guard Chet? Like that's, that's a, that's an interesting proposition for a lot of these teams. And you just take the talent, you figure it out. Okay. See, so obviously they're very well positioned. Selfishly. I hope that they get the 30th pick of the draft in 2027. Hmm. Um, but we'll just we'll just have to see given the the protections on that pick just came out. Okay. 
let's take a break. Awesome talk about the draft. I am going to sort of transition us into some of this conversation about free agency after the break. But first, summer is here and there's no better time to make your first bet with Superbook Sports, along with its usual vest, vast, excuse me, vast betting menu. Superbook already has a lineup for every pro football game this fall. Plus, when you make your first deposit on the Superbook app or sign up at superbook.com, they will match 100% of your money up to $500. It's never too early to start thinking about football at Superbook Sports. Place your bet and start winning today. Visit superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Back, pickaxe and roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I am joined today by my good friend Brendan Vote over at DNVR. Brendan, there's just a lot of weird stuff flying around free agency trade wise. Just, just some weird, weird conversations that are uh, sort of ruminating below the surface. This is just a volatile trade market. I think that is about to sort of explode here. Although we kind of hear that every year. I, it's right. one of the things that I've been thinking about that like, hey, we, we sort of hear that this is about to pop off. Like there are going to be so many trades at draft night. Some of these picks are going to move up and down. And then sometimes it's just a little quiet or a little bit underwhelming. Is there any reason to believe that this year is different? I don't think so, actually. Uh, and I also think some w- there have been some shifts in the trends in the NBA and not that long ago, we were in the absolute height of not just super team era, but super rumor era. Give me the gossip, who's on the move. And every day it seemed like a top 30 player was either potentially on the move or had actually been traded. And there does sort of seem to be like the Nets thing flamed out so terribly. We do have a bit of a changing of the guard with the young stars. Some of them seem to be more inclined to be Tim Duncan's Dirks than LeBron's in terms of staying with a team. So I just wonder, Ryan, if maybe we start to trend back away from these uh, really explosive and dramatic kind of uh, uh, periods in the offseason, you know? Yeah, the super team era, I've, I've heard a lot of people discuss that and just how we're, we're sort of moving away from that, that, that the enjoyment factor from winning a true title versus a bot title is, I think, seemingly more valuable and more rewarding and endearing to a lot of people than, than the one where you trade for all the pieces, you maximize your talent, and then you win on talent alone. Uh, that's, that's sort of what the Warriors themselves live through for, for both sides of that spectrum. Right. Um, right. One, one reason I think that this year might end up being different and that it might be true is because the league is so flat right now right. in terms of the right. talents. Like the Warriors just won the title. They were an eight seed last year. I know that they got clay back, but what else did they really do? Like, honestly, they, they sort of went back to their own identity. They uh, kind of surrounded themselves a little bit with better pieces. Wiggins kind of evolved. Pool kind of evolved. They, they got a couple of buy low candidates with Bielitsa and Otto Porter on the market. But like beyond that, what did they really do that would massively shook them up? There are a lot of teams, I think, that can really talk themselves into that could be us 
if we just be aggressive. And I think the Nuggets are kind of fall into that boat too. So right. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of sparks a lot of moves. But consider what aggressive has turned into, right? From the Denver perspective, we're thinking about like KCP, pipe dream OG, you know, like this yeah, is hardly yeah. Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook, right? And even from the Warriors perspective, that was some of the, like, I mean, Andrew Wiggins is a big name, but played a role for them. I actually ended up being their second best player in the finals, but you get what I'm getting at, what oh, they yeah. were going for with that signing. So you're right. On one hand, a lot of teams could say, man, this thing's wide open. Let's just, let's be the, let's make us the clearly most talented team. Let's get aggressive. On the other teams like Denver could go, you know what? Our core is right there. Like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. What we need to nail are the margin moves, stay healthy and we'll be fine. So, I mean, I get where you're coming from. Maybe that is the case, but I even mean more specifically, like there are Kyrie rumors now. So maybe, maybe that's the next one, but it just seems less and less of the like, Big name X is absolutely going to be dealt uh, for another big name. I don't know. I just feel like we're moving away from that a little bit, but perhaps. No, I, I, I think that's fair. And I think I'm, I'm glad about that too, because it's nice to be able to root for these guys because they're on the teams that they are, not because they teamed up to right. like, that's, that's, we're going to talk about fandom next segment, but like, that's sort of a part of it is you, you want to be able to tie yourself to these guys, these homegrown players that, means so much more to you than the player that was just brought in mid mid rebuild, right. et cetera. Um, you mentioned Kyrie Irving. You also mentioned the old guard. I think he qualifies for both. Uh, this is a very interesting position that Kyrie Irving has really put himself in. And, and he has put himself here. I, I don't right. think that there's, there's any question that Kyrie Irving is to blame for Kyrie Irving's situation right now. I mean, what the hell, what is going on? I, for, I mean, I, I totally agree. Um, I don't think anyone has had a harder time has gone out of their way more to make their life more complicated. It has to be, or make themselves less happy than they could be than Kyrie, but it's a very bizarre situation. And I hate seeing these things in the headlines right now because I'm so far, like I'm just over it right now as an NBA fan. At the same time, I'm able to kind of laugh at it a little bit more because this is in the context of a total flame out from a super team and a total flame out from a superstar and a guy whose value may be lower than what it should be given his pound for pound talent than maybe like any scenario we've seen in recent history. And then also like some of the names that are coming up, the Lakers, like, yeah, let's swap to down bad failed super attempt, you know, like, so part of me is kind of relishing this because it almost feels like uh like ESPN really wants me to talk about Kyrie, but I think the league is a, is almost kind of like past it, you know? It, I I a hundred percent agree. And it is funny that the teams that, like you said, are kind of brought up with this are the Lakers and the Knicks. They are relying right. on this super team era where they they have any shred of credibility where they could potentially break into that contender tier. It's that's the only reason that they can do it is through the transaction game, through right. finding the guy that's unhappy and really capitalizing on some poor franchise's uh, just difficulties at this stage. It's tough. Do you think that Kyrie ever actually goes anywhere? Is this just kind of posturing? Yeah, it could be public negotiating. I, I have not. Yeah, I don't know. Sure. Maybe, maybe he gets moved, but there would have been a time where this exact same situation, what it, what it inspires in me is, oh no, where is he going next? 
how is this going to shake up the landscape? And now I almost feel like, yeah, for all of his talent, I kind of just shrug my shoulders at like, unless he's headed to golden state, which he's not Boston, which he's not like, you know what I mean? I almost, the teams that are relevant to me right now almost don't seem relevant in this discussion. And right. there's a lot of Kyrie has to prove a lot that him landing anywhere actually means anything right now. So that's just where I'm at with it. It's so fun. Same thing with James Harden too. That's a, I think that's a, that's a good connection there. Um, there's a lot of noise in Charlotte right now. It's, it's sort of a, that's sort of an off the wall one. Kenny Atkinson obviously backed out of that coaching job. They're not really super enthused about paying Miles Bridges big money. Apparently that might be salary dumping Gordon Hayward with a borderline lottery selection in order to clear money for that move. I was really excited about LaMelo Ball's future there. Like I, he was just one of those guys that sort of popped up and was like, okay, this is, this is a fun sort of small market situation that we could really get behind yeah. and really just enjoy from afar. And now I look at it like, this is just, this, there is, there is nothing appealing about this at all. Yeah. I was, I was having the same thought, man, about Charlotte today, very briefly, a, Below the they have next tier, but just in terms of the vibey fun, oh, we should maybe turn our attention to Charlotte. That was happening. And then it very quickly was no longer worth people's time and attention. And I wonder all, you know, the myriad things that could have gone into that change of heart. Money is the first assumption, but also maybe Charlotte's plans or lack of a plan or uncertainty about the future. That became more clear to him. And some of the things you're talking about, like, okay, you could, I'm going to inherit this roster, but the front office is ready to sort of move away from all these different pieces, reluctant to pay key pieces. Am I just going to get my ass fired in three years when I can stay in Golden State and vibe out? You know, like I, that really sounds appealing. So again, I have no idea what goes into this, but just some of the things I'm, I'm thinking about. And honestly, I, to tell you the truth, I'm not sure that he's not getting paid that much less as an assistant coach right, right. now in Golden State than he would be as a Charlotte head coach. That's right. that's tough. That's a tough place for a small market to be in. But like they do have an opportunity to go get a guy like that that could be helpful. Um, quick, name the two first round picks that they drafted last year. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's unbelievable. James Booknight and Kai Jones. Those are fake. Those are 2K names. Those are 2K generated names that I had no idea. Like as an NBA like person, I I know who they are. Sure. Like, but like, good lord, they were off the map completely. And and that's kind of where it comes into. You cannot screw up these steps. James Booknet was a ninth overall pick last year in a draft that netted like five all-star caliber players in the top (laughs) five picks it's like Like, come on man like this you gotta hit and and like you just can't screw up all of your times where where you're you're messing with this stuff so i don't know it's so hard as a small market to really Mm. uh sort of figure it out and that they might be trying to get out of gordon hayward's money to kind of clear the decks a little bit but they're gonna go right back to paying miles bridges and then they're gonna play pay lamella ball it's just they paid Kemba Walker and then didn't pay Kemba Walker. That's it's a tough place to be, man. I feel for their fans. And a good perspective, good perspective, good reminder for Denver right now. I mean, particularly with Porter and his contract, like the money thing is super relevant. But you could, there are times where you point to all these teams and they go, they got that guy. He's so good. He would help us. They got that guy. He's so good. He would help us. But then comes the time where they all have to get paid. 
And there's only so many roles and only so much playing time for all of them. And that, that little Denver was once one of those teams in that beautiful sweet spot. And now reality has caught up to them. They're surviving it because of the sheer talent, particularly Jokic. But, you know, even a guy like Bridges, who was like a tremendous player, a type of player that I think a lot of people might've said, I'd flip Porter for him right now, but here you go. Now, Charlotte is now in a similar situation. Sounds the back injury, of course, but like, like, is he worth that? The, the amount of money that he is in fact going to get, is he worth that much? Team and building honest, is so hard. And honestly, like, would you pay Michael Porter a max contract, like 30 million, 35 million on average to uh, have the chance to be a big star? Or would you rather pay Miles Bridges 25 to 30 million, which is about what he's going to get? Uh, just to be like maybe the third best player on your championship team. Like it's, it's a tough place to be in Denver's betting yeah. on talent. And that's fine. Like I, I'm okay with them paying Michael Porter for that reason. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And you know, like, it's really easy to say the the big risk has bit them. Like that's, that's where we're at, but they like, they, them signing Porter to that extension wasn't sort of uh like lazy. It was the risk. Everyone always talks about, well, Denver's got to get aggressive. They did. They're like, we think he's talented enough. We think he's good enough. We're going to give this money to him right now and try to avoid some of this mess. And look, it's biting them in the ass right now. But back to my original point, it's it's very easy to be filled with envy when looking around the NBA. But all these teams are in different places in team building. And every team's reckoning comes unless they have the Warriors ownership. And then there's no reckoning. They just pay for everything and you're fine for like a decade. Speaking of a team that's in a completely different place and the reckoning is coming, I cannot wait to see what happens with Phoenix and DeAndre Ayton. Oh, beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> Full year, of course. Like, it's not beautiful for, for so many basketball reasons, but from a hater perspective, how wonderful is that? And by the way, speaking of good reminders of why Tim Connolly operated the way he did with the money, like, here we go with an avoidable situation, right? And and Phoenix, I think, maybe escapes some of the sort of small market stuff, but they're similar in that they're not necessarily going to be able to play the Lakers-Nets game. You got to get this stuff right. And he is – I get that there are questions about the work ethic and the max contract, but he is very good and a guy that they picked over Luka Doncic. You can't not give that guy a max. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's a crazy situation that they're in. and. I mean, things change quickly, man, but I'd be very surprised if the Suns land on their feet gracefully here, given everything they're going through. There's the the ownership drama that they've got going on. Chris Paul is just getting older. Devin Booker's about to ask for a super max. Like, right. it does sort of feel like their bill is coming due, too. And I feel much better about Jokic getting a super max than I do Booker. Like, that's just, that's just the facts about it. Like, right. it's very interesting to think about, man. Denver did get swept last year. Or they, they got swept, and it was painful. It was really bad. In the end, did Phoenix really do anything? Did they do no. anything during this no. stretch? It's unbelievable. Who do, who do you think has a better chance to win a title next year, Denver or Phoenix? It's definitely Denver. It's Denver. Like, it's Denver. Yeah. I know we're the homers, but like that's the way it is. Uh, and that's crazy. That's crazy to think about. And Phoenix, here's the other thing. Denver has done this successful rebuild and they never really got the high picks. I mean, Jamal, but even that it's hardly, it's not like they were picking first and right. Phoenix 
because of their own incompetence, had so many chances to bring in insanely talented rookies time and time again. And so it felt like they got to skip that line a little bit. And what I didn't realize, man, was the extent to which the whole league would rejoice around their downfall. I did not realize everyone felt the same way that we do. <laughs> That's un- un- unbelievable. I-, I remember being in the building when they came in uh, to play Denver and they were dancing yes. around during warmups. They were just absolutely yes. dogging it out there, trying to just get everybody as riled up as possible because they were so confident. And, and having that confidence is great when it goes well. And then when it doesn't go well, and when you were the team that was dominating the league, 64 wins, and, and then you completely fall on your face, everybody is going to relish in your demise 100%. The whining that they were doing, the uh, irritating fandom, and it's like, it's not all of their guys, but like any Suns fan that hops into my mentions is basically telling me that, Oh yeah. Like, like four Oh, like sons and four. Like that's like, okay, cool. Like congratulations. What did you do with it? what did you do with the opportunity? Yeah. And that's, and it was probably a small window. I mean, we'll see the NBA has a funny way of making us all eat crow. And so, you know, jokes on us for talking to a mic five times a week at the end of the day, but yeah, (laughs) I could see, I could just see this being a vibeless attempt at damage control where, okay, they don't look horrible, but no one's really buying it, including the people in Phoenix. What's your favorite Nuggets trade target right now? KCP. I I don't know. Maybe I'm underselling it. Josh Hart, maybe. Yeah. Who I guess I kind of view as a maybe a more talented version of the return in whatever this trade is. But there's something about KCP's experience in a very contained role alongside superstars that is like, okay, in that role, he's more of a proven commodity. I don't know if that makes sense to you at all. Oh, of course. No, it, like he's not, he maybe not be to the level that Danny Green was hitting, but it's Danny right. Green-esque where you're, right. you're looking for the perfect role player that can just, he'll, he'll be competent in any situation that you throw him out there. He'll be executing the defense really well he will hit the shots that he's asked to hit mm-hmm. and he's not going to do much more than that and that's okay that's, that's good that's what you want from from those supporting cast players didn't you feel like man in their title run in the bubble like he was arguably the third most important player on that team a hundred percent he was fantastic he was so i don't against denver it felt like he didn't miss a single shot but yeah i i i kind of like that deal um and i think you and i have talked off air about potentially being viable, you know, Barton in a first that actually should be enough to get that done. Can it, can you, can that get you KCP and a future first back, you know, because I think Nuggets fans are so down on will right now that they don't realize you don't have to attach a first to an expiring 15 million, 15.4 rebound forces guy. Like you, you probably don't have to, to upgrade. Yes. But to like people use the word dump, like teams are going to want him at the deadline. Whether they should or shouldn't, they will. So I'd be curious how gettable KCP is via that that kind of route. There are probably a lot of other teams that are thinking the same thing. He's an expiring contract, right. complimentary wing. Like you, you may just have to outbid a team, and maybe that's where it comes in, where you just kind of have to give them the best offer. And that's right. that's too bad. But this is why Denver got that 30th pick. I think I don't think it was to get the 30th best player in the draft. I think it was probably to get uh, the, the best upgrade that they possibly can. And so whatever that is, whatever it ends up being that, then that's great. 
OG to Denver is one that I I don't mm. think is realistic. But I'm I'm if I'm the Nuggets, I'm doing everything I can to make that happen. I think it's a fantastic fit. Sure. And had they not already made the trade for Aaron Gordon, I would say that's the trade. Full steam, all resources towards that. Even still, probably room for him to come in and be quite helpful. So I'm with you there. Just sort of view him more in the pipe dream category, you know, yeah. than than KCP, but. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm with you. I also think 30, correct me if I'm wrong. They can't move 21 safer on draft night Excel itself. Right. They can move one or the other. They can't move the other. both. Um, but once it gets to Thursday, then they can move both. You can do whatever it takes. Okay. Uh, so I, I think that that's how this works, but I kind of like what, what Jake Bronco squatch was saying. I think you have to have at least one draft pick that is kind of tied right. to this time because of the step in role. So maybe ahead of the draft, having to allow them to to kick tires, you know, and sort of gauge value a little bit better. And here's the other thing I understand. I definitely balked at how light the protection was on on that pick, that 2027 pick. But I think a little too much is being made of it as a trade asset, especially considering the perspective of how few GMs have job security that carries them from June 21st through 2027. It actually may be the case that the 30th pick is more appealing to a GM right now than a 2027 lightly protected first because they can use it. Uh, Maybe they have a guy in mind in the draft. So in a vacuum, it's less valuable, but I don't, I don't know if that's the proper framing or perspective on this. I'm hundred percent with you. I I feel the same way. Any desperate GM that's looking to add some bit of talent is not going to be thinking about the value charts of their of their future draft picks and and whether this this 500 points pick is worth this 400 point pick but it's now like i i totally totally with you on that um yeah really quick let's take a break uh awesome talk on on free agency stuff uh actually do do you have any other any comments generally on denver before we kind of hit a break here just that i think they're close man i am not as deterred by the last two years as some and what there's work to be done. And the, the, the question is no longer what can be done. And now about the due diligence of doing everything that you can to maximize the percentage on this year, the window has shortened. They lost a couple of years up front on it. So I recognize all of that, but I will, I will, like you said, man, I think this very same version of the nuggets we just saw if healthy absolutely could have made a run. So I think they're very close and I'm very excited to see what they do with these margin moves because I think we're all very close to a much more enjoyable season than we than we realize right now. I hope so. I, I think we we need some enjoyment back in our lives. This has been a it's been a tough 14 month stretch or so, but oh. bones bones kind of saved some stuff. And then obviously Jokic is great, but I would love to see Jamal Murray play basketball again. That would Come be on, be fantastic. Oh, oh that's you clutch time, clutch time Jamal. I'll never take that was my biggest takeaway from this year. I'll never take that for granted again that that was a two-person operation. Yeah, 100%. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about being a fan. We're going to talk about fandom and kind of how this has evolved in the modern NBA and sports world. We will be right back.
And we're back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, last segment here with Brendan Vogt. And I, I wanted to talk to Brendan about this specifically because I think this pertains to us very, very strongly. Both of us are kind of in the business as a combination between fan and media. And walking that line is sometimes difficult. And walking that line is, is it's not like, it's not the most difficult thing in the world. Don't get me wrong. Like we could just uh, put on a brave face at, at ball arena, then cheer or scream when, when we get back home. But uh, it's, it's one of the things that I really take away from the growth of DNVR specifically, just how awesome your guys' past three years have been. The bar is incredible. I know you guys are doing renovations, going to make it bigger, going to make it have, have some opportunities to get more people in there. Uh, anybody that hasn't been down to the bar should absolutely go. If you haven't, then you're dumb. Can you think of your can you think of your most euphoric moments at the bar this year? Oh, this year? Yeah. Oh man. Uh headband Jokic was really good. Yeah. Because vibes were cradling. And by the way, most nuggets, I forget who the team is they were supposed to beat. Was it the Spurs the game prior? Yeah. And they kind of dropped the ball. Most nuggets thing ever to play like crap in that Spurs game and then dominate that Grizzlies team. Like Mm-hmm. they're so annoying uh but Jokic headband Jokic was way up there <sighs> Philly the Philly win was big it also to me ironically it was about Jokic MB to start the night but that was the best moment for the Denver Nuggets as a team as a group for me this year they had his back in that game in a way they didn't really across the whole year and then Jokic would never admit it, but they all knew what that game meant. And you could, the video from the locker room that night and Will Barton's yelling, we got your back, big fellow. We ride with you. Like that was that they all knew. They all knew that if they played well that night, they could get him that MVP. So I don't know there were a couple of moments, but they all happened in a different, the euphoric moments in the last few years have been about the nuggets climb and rise to making that appearance in the finals. Yeah. And this year it was a bit different. We had to search for it as it came in these sort of contained moments. It probably was never going to add up to anything, you know? And, and so taking them as they came and, and enjoying them for what they were was a different experience this year. It's definitely, definitely different. And, and first of all, I agree on both of those games. Those are the two games that I think about. I think about the headband Jokic game from a different context though. Cause I was there and that was the mm. 2000, 1500 game. Like that was, uh, it was, it was just a, I wasn't at the bar for that, for that one for me, but it was such a surreal moment to be involved in something like that, where obviously I'm, I'm not supposed to have like, like sort of rooting interest in, in some of these things. And, but I had people coming up to me that night and we're like, you made this happen. Like this is on you. And I was like, okay, okay, let's, let's slow down just a little bit. Guys. I think Jokic made it happen, but I am excited that I'm involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was yeah, yeah. like being at the arena that like everybody knew that it was a thing. It was unbelievable right. that all of these fans, and this is just like this, this weird fringe statistical thing that didn't mean a damn thing in the scope of Nuggets winning basketball games. But it was such a surreal moment that everybody knew that this was going on, knew exactly how many points Jokic needed in order to get to that threshold. And then when it actually happened, like I I got shouted up by the team on Twitter. I'm getting all these texts and calls. It's very weird. Uh, Matt Moore was laughing at me the entire time that night. He said I was glowing from ear to ear for the rest of the night. It was crazy. Um, it's not really supposed to be about me flexing here, but what I'm, what I'm really trying to get at is I think that these moments as a fan are becoming more prevalent as 
even though we're media members, like I think fans are having more of an impact on the game than they used to as fans are getting smarter, as social media is becoming more prevalent. And as like the coverage of these teams is starting to shift towards the smart fan as opposed to the beat writer. Though we have some great, fantastic beat writers, Mike Singer, Vinny Benedetto, those guys are fantastic. But like the fans are the ones that are sort of controlling the narratives a lot of these times. It's so interesting to me. I agree. And the one thing where that, the one place where that isn't the case right now, and one thing I'm very interested in and invested in, in terms of my role at DNVR, is I think everything you just described is the case. However, there is a growing divide between the players themselves and the fans in terms of mutual respect, in terms of being able to relate on any level (laughs) with each other. And I hate that. And so as we seek to develop, I think, a more familial relationship between media and fans, the next step is getting it back to players and fans. And that's been the best part of the Bones Highland experience. The for lack of a better word, this isn't the case officially, but Bones Highland DNVR partnership, friendship thing. Sure, yeah. And that's why I think so many Nuggets fans are 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 tapping into Bones right now, is he's giving that to them. You know, he's happy to be in Denver playing in front of these fans. And I think Bones would give that to any fan base or any city, but there is an organic connection there that I think fans are feeling to Bones that is a breath of fresh air in a league where players, I think, give that to the people less and less. It's authentic. It's it's very interesting. Uh, Michael Malone, we were talking to him after practice, I think, yesterday, and, and he was he was saying that that players see everything on social media now, and they mm-hmm. they have all of the like they they see all of these comments and they read everything that's about them. You never used to have that. It's just such a different thing than what used to happen. And I think that there's a widely accepted theory coming out of Golden State right now. And like over the past few years that Andy Liu, one of the hosts of the Light Years pod, when he was covering the war, he was, had his takes on Steph and KD while they were together. And it had such an impact on KD, the, what he was saying, that it actually caused him to leave for Brooklyn. Yeah. It may not have been just that, but some of it was just about him not being necessarily appreciated enough for his accomplishments. Sure. And the fans have like some, some say in that it's crazy. I think, and maybe Katie's not necessarily the best example on this, but I do think that like you talked about the authenticity of a player being willing to do that and really devote himself and give himself to the fans in that way. It is so important mm. for the growth of the game and how this thing is going to continue to go. Totally. Totally agree. By the way, Michael Malone, to the point you were just making in that conversation, uh, you know what? In case I accidentally wander into off-record territory, Ryan, I'm just going <laughs> to cut myself short. I'm just going to say that I agree with you yeah. that players and coaches and even guys in the front office, whether or not they react to the conversation online or whatever, they're seeing a lot of it. They really oh, yeah. are. And I think I was naive initially when I first started doing this about the extent to which players would be in tune. Like my perspective on it was I cannot fathom them giving a flying shit what I have to say. And if I were them, I simply would not. Uh, But that I think was naive. Of course they do. We are media members. It's on the record and we can help. It's not about us. It's about how we may be influencing the fans and their perspectives on these guys. 
So I was definitely naive to that element of it, element of it when I first started. I thought this was all anonymous, but they see it, you know, and, and some of them see, you know. I was called a Will Barton, like, like Stan slash defender for much of this season as he was really struggling for, for finding his footing for much of the year, wasn't really doing anything on the defensive end. I tried to call it like I see it, like, hey, look, this, this just isn't good enough. Like, he has to be better. Obviously, this is where things are manifesting in Denver's offseason goals. Sure. But, like, that was also – it's the balance that we have to have between the kind of the conduit between fans and players, fans and coaches, kind of in that media fan zone where we still get to shape some of those narratives while also being honest about it and caring about it in a way that maybe, maybe not necessarily the national folks really care about it, but uh, even like beat writers and, and how they they have to remain objective in these situations and just report on the news. Like we have sort of a different responsibility here on this local coverage where it's about shaping takes and narratives and but but more than that it's just how you want to react to things as people and as fans and right. it's just it's so cool that local coverage has evolved in this way i think because i do think that it is a good thing that things are trending in this direction and i don't know if there's necessarily a right way to do it but i do think there will always be a variety of ways to get it right so there are how many billion people on the planet now like eight it's like eight eight that, yeah i just embarrassed myself i think that's right <laughs> So you are not going to reach a consensus on should we read Mike Singer, Mark Kisla, or Ryan Blackburn or Brennan Vogt. You're just not going to get a consensus there. And I think there will be enough of an audience for all of these different groups. But I do think dropping this facade that objectivity is essential to sports coverage is for the best. We are talking about a game. We are talking about something that is a source of great passion for fans. That is a source of a gr- of, of substantial amount of barbershop talk that isn't really about finding the truth, but just about having some fun and passing the time. And I don't know how much capital T truth there is to get to here. Like we're talking about basketball. So if there is a, gr- are a group of us who are m- more willing to lean into the celebratory aspects of it or the, the things we can enjoy, you know, I love like, why not? What's wrong with that? You know, why does this have to like Mike Singer should be there, right? Like real beat work is the foundation of all of this, but what's wrong with us being there too. And, and here's my, I don't know if this is quite where you're going with it, but here's a little rant I've got for you. Columnists, traditional media, sports media, newspapers for a long time. These are not bastions of journalism and objectivity. You don't think a columnist strikes you as a fan when they write bitter pieces after a loss that really bummed them out on a Friday night about who needs to be fired the next day, you know, taking their, taking their own responsibility to hold the the fire to their feet too seriously. Like that is a, a longtime fan of their local sports teams reacting emotionally. And you know what? That's okay. Sometimes it makes for a great column. Uh, But the rest of us aren't just relegated to cheerleaders when we do the same thing, but we gear it more towards celebration than dropping the hammer. You know, we're most of us are just exchanging opinions, man. And that's okay. That it's not capital T truth is okay with me. There was a lot of gatekeeping initially that went on in this business where 
like you're talking about, you, you, if you have these certain takes, if you come from a certain background that you weren't necessarily allowed to talk about the game in such a way that really got you paid, that really got you interest, like interest in what you were saying. Uh, but I just sort of disagree with that. Like, think about, think about, and I, I sort of disagree with, with them on their own takes, but the rights, the rights to Ricky Sanchez guys, how important and foundational those guys are to the right. city of Philadelphia. Like and the culture around the team. Yeah. It's crazy. Culture like, around the team. And, and like, I think that there are going to be, and, and like, like we talked about Andy Lou, Samus, Samus Andiari on the late years pod and how that's sort of foundational of what they were doing over there. There, there are these pockets of people and they're, they're fans at their heart that, that just want the best for the people in the organization that just want to be able to celebrate sports and celebrate their own fandom that want this to be about true, honest takes about what's going on with the nuggets or the 76ers or the warriors. And, you're going to get that honest take because there's that emotional and financial investment in there. Like right. we said earlier, we don't have this job if Nikola Jokic isn't around. Of course, we're going to celebrate the dude. Of course, we are going yeah. to kind of prop him up and do what we can to make sure that he gets his credit. We want to make sure that, like, obviously, he doesn't he doesn't need any of the credit and probably doesn't want it anyway. But he is just like, it's so interesting to think about how this has evolved and what we're, where we're going with this, because this it's going to be more like this. I think that the, the DMVR right. model and things like that are the future and how most of these teams are going to be covered going forward. Right. And by the way, lest we sound too flippant about it, I think we, I speak for both of us when I say we both take a tremendous amount of pride and put a lot of work into finding some level of, you know, being credible of, of staying objective of calling it like we see it actually might be a better way. Of, right. of putting it, but, but that's the thing. Like, and, and I, I want to put, I want to flesh that out a little sure, bit. Sure, sure. We, we are more willing and in some cases to be objective in those situations that when something is going wrong, when you see it, it is so tied to you as a fan that you don't want to just brush it aside. Right. You want to make sure that that gets addressed, that you get to talk about that and think, Hey, this could be a problem for our team. Yeah. This could be a potential yeah. issue. Like the, I am ownership I'm, thing right now is a great example. I was just going to say it that like, man, it's not the biggest deal in the world that the practice facility isn't built right now, but it sure would help. And I think the Nuggets, like the Nuggets organization would greatly benefit from having a Nuggets uh, practice facility. And so that's why I care about it. That's why I think it should be a thing. And I know the fans care and I care about what they care about. So exactly. As, as the conduit. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's this element of, of, of balancing it, you know, and then for me though, at DNVR, one of the keys is that when the time is right, Drop your inhibitions. Like it's all right to be a little shameless, you know. And 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 then you, can, I talk on the air so like so many times. I can't like live recorded. I get so many opportunities to flesh out when I was joking, what was real, what isn't. You know, I'm not quite as worried as if you hear a soundbite of me. Have you lost? Have I lost credibility with you? Right, like all that stuff. Like. I can get it. I can lose it. I can earn it back. But I like to follow the emotional highs and lows of this because that is the way a lot of fans do. And playing to that, whether it's being upset with them, celebrating with them, I take as much pride in that. And I feel as much responsibility in that. I think I assume as beat writers do in, in providing and laying out the facts, it's, it's different, but I think it's important. And I, I feel proud to provide it like when when i watched my favorite teams win sporting events 
I always wanted, I call it the more. I always wanted the more. Okay, the final buzzer sounded. The game is over, but is my night with this over? Because I can watch ESPN. I can't wait for the Scott Van Pelt Midnight Edition. I'm going to get my favorite team's podcast. Like, I, I'm getting more of this. The game's over, but I'm not done. And so if I could find a way to, to summarize what we do at DNVR is we give you the more. You get the games. You get the facts but you want more. And we're there outside of the four quarters of the game to just sort of stoke those flames. And that's something that I don't take lightly. Authentic, wholehearted coverage. It's the best kind of coverage. That's the only way that this should go. Sports are about that connection, that emotional connection that you have with a city, with a team, with people. And it's so important to facilitate that and be willing to go out on a limb in order to kind of cultivate that. And you guys yes. did that. It's fantastic. Obviously it has worked exceedingly well. I'm just excited to see where this continues to go, man. It, it's, it is a good thing that this is kind of disrupting the market. Thank you. And I'm thrilled that you get to keep being yourself outside of SB Nation for more than one reason. Shout out all of our friends at SB Nation, not just because I think you deserve Ryan reasonable compensation, but also because I think with SB Nation comes with certain perceptions, right? Like you will, you are a Nuggets homer in the way that you and I have just sort of outlined in these last five, 10 minutes, but you're not just the Nuggets SB Nation guy. There is, uh, a, your content's more elevated than that. At least I, I, I view it that way. So I'm glad, I think you're in a, a good situation for you, man. And I also think we started this show reflecting on how we all got started. And the craziest thing to me is to think about how much this has changed in terms of how the jobs that are available, the relative security that's prop, propped up, cropped up. I think particularly since the gambling money came through, but it, w- it was a lot of us just fighting to get to do this one more day because we love it. And it's really exciting to see you and, and really so many of us in a position to, to not just not have to worry about the next day, but to really be able to, to start attacking this long-term with security, uh, building off of that work, and just putting your full self into it, man. So I think Nuggets fans are better off with you in this position, and I'm really excited to see everyone doing well. I appreciate it, man. It's been fantastic. I, I totally agree with you, and I totally think this is going to be a great thing as, as we both continue to evolve, it's, it's just a lot of fun to be able to think about where we were and, and where this is going to continue to go. But the, the ground, like we are, we're still rising. The elevator has not stopped at the top right. floor quite yet. So with the nuggets, really, baby, let's keep growing. Hell yeah. Brandon, you've been fantastic. I really appreciate talking to you, man. It's always fun. We, we, I think we connect in a really good way and you, you have some fantastic takes and I, I love to be able to share that. You're the best, man. Thanks for hanging out. Come to the bar tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? The Avs game Wednesday. Oh yeah. I, I. Oh man. Oh god. I really. I want to. And I'm thinking. Oh, what if they trade somebody tomorrow? What oh, if, I know. Oh what god. If, what if they make a move? Oh, I know. And they actually might. So maybe don't do that. But come hang out eventually, man. A hundred percent, man. Uh, it's good to talk to you. For everybody else, that is it for this episode of Pickaxe Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much for tuning in. I, I may be podcasting tomorrow, probably not. Like, if there is a move, then then I'll talk about it. If not, then I'll probably save my, my discussion for the draft. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I appreciate all the love and support. As always, shout out to Brendan Vogt at the NBR Sports. He's been fantastic. 
I'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.